Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com slash explore. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cam. And Michigan State escapes the first round with a 76-72 win uh, over Maryland. And, Rod, this one got out to a lead in the 20s and just evaporated as quickly as it built um, and came down to the, really the final few possessions. Um, it was strikingly similar to the game at Breslin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan State with a comfortable halftime lead, not by quite as much as they had at Breslin. I think they were up 14 at the half at Breslin. They were up nine at halftime in this one. Yeah. Um, but Michigan State and, – and the thing that before about, say, the six-minute mark of this game – I was planning on saying the thing that was impressive about this game (laughs) is that it wasn't as streaky Mm. as we've seen. Certainly not as we saw at the game at Breslin, that Michigan State just steadily built its margin playing good basketball at both ends. And then the roof caved in. And you you look at these stats, and it is mind-blowing that this was a four-point game, except for basically two related categories turnovers and points off turnovers mm-hmm. and y'all saw it the way michigan state handled pressure was the worst one of the worst performances i can't think of a worse one off the top of my head there might have been one along the way somewhere but that was textbook terrible mm-hmm. textbook how you do not break pressure i'm with robbie hummel I thought that Michigan State's, not just that they didn't handle pressure well, but that strategically, I wasn't sure what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Their spacing was terrible. I agree with them completely. You start your guards that close to the baseline, you are just not, what you want is you want space for the offensive player to be able to create space between he and his defender, right? Mm. That's the way you get a a guy open to receive a pass. That's the first thing you do. And when you start that close to the baseline, you're doing the defense's job for them because you've shortened the amount of room to the point that it's very difficult to get any space, right? Mm -hmm. And Michigan State doesn't do very much of what they used to do, which is using a fairly aggressive screening game to get guys open. They used to do more of that than they do now. If you watch the way they handled that, there wasn't any screening going on, really. It was just guys basically trying to create space. Well, if that's what you're going to do, you need more room to work with. They finally seemed to fix it a little bit late, but um, so it was bad strategically, and Izzo kind of owned that, I thought, Mm. in the post-game discussion, that a lot of it is on him. I, I have to be honest with you. I don't know how much they work on pressure. Because they don't see it in the Big Ten other than in these scenarios. Yeah. Nobody really – you see some stuff like Michigan with its half-assed shit. Occasionally you'll see it, but you don't see full-court pressure very often. So I don't know how much time they devote to it. You know, something that fans often completely misunderstand is they think that you have unlimited amounts of time to work. You don't. Mm-hmm. You have very tightly prescribed amounts of time that you can work with your team. And – as a consequence of that, there are things that are not emphasized in favor of other things that are. And watching this team today, you have to wonder about how much time they've devoted to handling pressure. Now, it, it doesn't hurt Maryland that Maryland has some guys, particularly Russell, who are just absolute menaces with their hands. I mean, that guy defensively is a one-man turnover creation machine. I'm mm-hmm. surprised. I think he was tied for eighth in the league in steals. I, I don't know how he's not leading it hmm. because he's so quick and his hands are so quick. 
that, and he also takes risks. He's not a guy who necessarily always plays sound defensive basketball. So given that he's kind of a ball hawk in mentality, I'm shocked he's not leading the league. But you've got him, and then you just throw in the way their other guys played and Michigan State's general incompetence, and you have a game. So yeah. turnover margin was 10, 16 to 6. That that number was probably, that margin was, I believe, fairly close up until the last five, six minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it just got, just got blown to smithereens. Points off turnovers, Maryland 24, Michigan State 5. That's why you have a game where Michigan State substantially outshot Maryland. They fairly substantially out-rebounded them and were even in free-throw makes. Maryland had two more attempts, but so they were even with production there. What's the difference? What kept it close? Maryland took 10 more shots from the floor, and that's directly attributable to the turnovers. Mm -hmm. So we haven't talked about turnovers as a key factor for a long time, weeks. And this was not the standard issue stuff that we've seen from Michigan State. This was not, not in the same way at least. A lot of it was absolutely maddening. There's no question about that. But it was a different kind of maddening than we've typically seen. But very, very disappointing end Mm -hmm. to what, for about 35 minutes or close to that, was a pretty comprehensive performance by Michigan State. There was a lot to like. But you know what? Once again, a game that is a microcosm of the season. Mm -hmm. They play very well, very well, and get you thinking, man, maybe, maybe this team is ready to do a little something. And then you see those last six minutes unfold and it gets you right back to questioning. (laughs) I mean, I just, some of the decisions that were made, Marcus Bainham trying to hand, I mean, Marcus Bainham shouldn't even be, that's the other thing I didn't touch on. There were some personnel decisions I didn't understand. Why in God's name is Marcus Bainham on the floor? Mm-hmm. I understand he shoots free throws decently, but you can have a lineup that has five good free throw shooters out there that's going to give you better ball handling. I have no idea why he was on the court. None. And that cost him one possession. Some of the some of the inbound decisions by Hauser and by Malik Hall, mind-blowing what they thought they were doing. And again, <laughs> strategically – you're not operating in a way to give yourself even a good fighting chance to get separation mm-hmm. from a defender, which is what you absolutely have to have. So it's a shame that we're going to spend time talking about that because there were so many positive things here, but that's the last thing that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. You know, that's the last thing we saw now to Michigan state's credit. This could have been a complete collapse, meaning they lose the game. If not for some, Key free throw shooting by Tyson Walker and Max Christie down the stretch. And Tyson Walker also had a very big bucket from the floor when they had gotten the lead down to two the first time. And then he hit that, you know, really uh, under control spin in the middle of the lane mm-hmm. and hit that eight foot floater. That was a big shot, big make. Um, and as I say, Max really stepped up, hit four straight down there to, to finally put it away. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a microcosm of the season. Yeah. You do some things really, really well, but man, what you do poorly, you do disastrously. <laughs> and I guess the worry going forward, especially in a tournament setting, uh, is that teams are going to look at their pressure at the end of that uh, game and think, I don't know. Maybe not I, the Big I, Ten teams, but... No, even yeah. in the NCAA, I don't. Uh, unless, unless they're unfortunate enough to, to play a team a that team does a team do that, that. Does, yeah. yeah teams like that that's very rare that coaches will just spring something like that and turn it turn it in now what you might have is you might have a team like say michigan that um occasionally will deploy some you know one three one kind of pressure and and do that not so much to create turnovers but to burn clock maybe a team that does some of that might tilt a little more in that direction, but I don't think you're going to see somebody who doesn't do it come out and just 94 foot trap them. I, I just don't see that. That's just not, <laughs> a t- not. That's, that's something fans think about, but it's just not realistic because uh-huh. again, getting back to what I was talking about in regard to Michigan state's pressure break, 
you only have so much time with your team. And if it's not something you live and breathe, you, you, doing it's a disaster. I mean, look, if somebody did do it, you know, you would hope that you'd have a better day than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But because I honestly, I don't think anybody, we haven't had a game like this. Now they haven't faced pressure like that too often, but um, when they have faced pressure, I haven't felt that they've been particularly awful. That's not uh-huh. where the turnover problems have been. So sometimes it just comes in waves and you just can't, you know, momentum is a hell of a thing. Mm. And I'm not trying to excuse them. They made awful decisions. And as I say, yeah. there were strategic problems. There were lineup problems, in my opinion, just across the board bad. But I would think you're unlikely to see something quite that bad again. That's, that's the problem with this Michigan State team is you have a problem area and then it sort of gets addressed and something else pops up. So early on, you had turnovers as a major issue. When that starts to settle down a little bit, all of a sudden they can't rebound defensively to save their lives. Mm-hmm. And then when that improves maybe a little bit, well, now they can't defend anybody. You know, as we <laughs> saw in Ann Arbor and Ohio and Columbus. Mm-hmm. You know, so this just, that's the problem is it's a moving target. That was kind of the deal last year, too, mm-hmm. until late in the season. It was a moving target. The The issues were not consistent throughout the entire season other than you could say the lack of a, a point guard who was comfortable um, was a consistent issue. But beyond that, the macro issues were different all the time. And yeah. they, until late in the year, it never felt like they could get on top of everything well enough to win games. Um, this year, it's been not as bad because some of the strengths have been better, but uh, still a problem. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I don't think that in particular is a sign of the apocalypse as much as just generally you keep waiting, no matter how big the lead is, you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop with this team. You don't necessarily know what it's going to be the next time out. It could be a 20 point lead. And all of a sudden they're not checking anybody. The other team's tossing in threes and MSU can't buy a shot. Mm -hmm. It could be that, you know, it's, but that's what you're worried about because this team has not given you a reason to feel confident that they know what to do with a lead, that they can put somebody away, you yeah. know? Yeah. So anyway. Uh, so look at the starters. Gabe Brown, 33 minutes, 13.6 rebounds, uh, five for eight from the floor, two for four from three. Yeah. I, I liked the way Gabe played. I mean, I thought, I thought Gabe played really, really well. He was, he was under control, um, you know, only taking eight shots, in, in 33 minutes, you might expect he'd get more, but I thought his shot selection was really good. And, um, you know, he seems yeah. to have clearly rallied out of that slump. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. all threes, you know, he had that right. really sweet crossover. <laughs> that was <Yep>. awesome. <laughs> had a bucket in transition. Yeah. Yeah. Did and one, mm-hmm. uh, did some nice things. I, I really liked his game. The wings today were outstanding. Yeah. They Chris, were the difference. Christy, 33 minutes, 16.6 rebounds for Christie too. Uh, yep. Two assists, four for six from the floor, three for three for three. Uh, and a steal. That's, that's the big thing, you know, that he was dialed in from three. It's the first time in a long time we've seen Max have a shooting game like that from deep. Yeah. And then, as I say, he really stepped up late. And, you know, not just even that it hit those four free throws, but I believe in both of those cases, definitely the last one, he had gotten the rebound. He mm-hmm. had gotten the defensive rebound. So he did both that to end a possession and then draws the foul steps to the line and hits them. Um, really, really good stuff from both of those guys. And for most of the game, I thought MSU's wings did a really good job defensively, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and really, even when you look at the total numbers, I mean, Ayala ended up with 17 points, but he, he did not get rolling. Mm-mm. Um, you know, Hart was okay, uh, but limited from three. So they limited from three. So they, they did a pretty good job defensively too, for most of that game. Yeah. So hats off to those two guys. Yeah, I, he, I love five for 17. I mean, yeah. Two for he 10 not, for three. Yeah. Yikes. If you remember the game at Breslin, he was the key to getting them back in it. Mm-hmm. He did. They did not defend well. They got, you know, he, they got some open looks and, and then when the confidence got, got on track, Maryland was tough to beat. This one, they, they kind of kept Ayala down. Now, I will say, as Hummel pointed out, 
Michigan State did dodge some bullets. It wasn't really the wings per se. It was a bunch of guys. They did leave Maryland at dirt, certain stretches in that game. Maryland got wide open looks. Yeah. That they did. The second half defense was not on point. It was not where it needed to be. They they got kind of let off the hook a little bit there, in my mm. opinion. Uh, and then Joey Hauser, 23 minutes, uh, only three points, but five rebounds, um, two assists. But he had yeah. three turnovers, and he you know, fouled out. There were, I thought he played really well in the first half and then not so well in the second. He had a real problem. Michigan State had a real problem in the second half dealing with Dante Scott, and he only ended up with mm-hmm. 15 points. But, man, it felt worse than that. Yeah. Um, he was uh, – God, he was only two for six from three. That felt worse than that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a great three-point shooter this year. But, um, yeah, I thought Joey had problems defensively in in the second half, particularly when Maryland was making their run, and then eventually he did foul out. But I thought in the first half he did, he did do some good things. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't get a lot of shots. I mean, only took three shots from the floor. Uh, Tyson Walker, 21 minutes, nine points, one rebound, three assists, um, a block, but four turnovers, four turnovers. You know, it's, it's hard to sort that out because he both made key plays to preserve the win. I mentioned that earlier. He hit Mm -hmm. two free throws and he had that big bucket in the middle of the lane to take it from two to four. So he did those things. And yet he also made some terrible decisions in the pressure game and was a big part of coughing it up. I mean, your point guard has to take charge and he's the guy they want with the ball, not Hogard who was out there because as well, but they want Walker with the ball because Walker shoots free throws so much better, mm-hmm. you know, playing AJ, you're kind of, you're kind of playing with fire a little bit because he's, yeah, he's, he's clearly one of your best ball handlers and passers, but he's also, only an okay free throw shooter. He's not a knockdown guy. Mm-hmm. Tyson's 80% plus. Yeah. So a lot of it's on him. He's got to, you know, those guards have to be the guys who take control of this thing. And they did not do that. Yeah. And only, so, only six shots for him too. I guess that's a little disappointing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the job that was done late in that game defensively, I wasn't thrilled with either. I mean, you look at, at Russell and Ayala's stats and combined, they were 11 for 32 from the floor, 5 for 17 from three. You say, mm-hmm. okay, you can live with that. But they got to the line a lot late, and then they got a, they just got a lot of activity off the dribble that you'd like to think your guards could do a better job of, of holding down. And Tyson was not the only guy, but he was part of that. Yeah. And to, to, his, to his credit, he did take a hard shot to the face. Uh, yeah. Well, they had a couple guys. He and he and Malik Hall. I mean, Maryland's not a dirty team or anything, but that was a physical game. Yeah, it was they a freak had, thing. Da, da, yeah, Dante Scott got hurt in the late in the first half and yeah. was able to come back. And you know, Walker and Malik Hall were both able to come back after their injuries. But yeah, a lot of guys were taking. You know, it's that time of year. Yeah, it's yeah. March. Guys are going to play balls out, and you know, yeah. it was uh, it was just the way it went. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bingham, 14 minutes, nine points, five rebounds, an assist, uh, and well, no blocks in this one, but he did get a steal. Yeah, he got kind of, it was a bad call on one that should have been a block. Uh, Hummel liked it. I didn't. Mm-hmm. The ball was blocked, and then there was contact afterward. Well, guess what? That's that's not a foul in that situation because yeah. the guy's no longer the shooter. Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that call. Um but uh, but I thought I thought Markey played well when he was out there. The hard part is again Maryland. You saw it at Breslin, and you saw it again today. They go small, and it's very difficult to play Markey out there because you don't want him guarding Dante Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dante Scott can do too much damage on the perimeter, and he can you know force you to get spread out, and that's not really where you want Markey. So. Um, I understand the decision, but it, it hurt Michigan State because, you know, he's a he was playing well. I thought mm-hmm. he had himself a decent game. He rebounded okay. He was obviously dialed in offensively, um, you know, four for seven and hit some tough shots. Yeah. Uh, gave Michigan State a little bit of an interior presence at hey. times, although, again, they, they got waxed in that category, 30 to 18. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, pretty good game. Just, you know, Wisconsin will be a different kind of matchup. They shouldn't have to be as worried about that kind of thing, playing the Badgers. I think mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see more of Markey in that, in that game. Yeah, he, he just had that one little bad stretch where he took a kind of a, a little bit of an ugly three and then came down and, and uh, Kuhad or what the heck, or Wahab kind of got him in a bad position yeah. and he had to foul. There's a little bit of a focus lapse maybe in that. Uh, well, that's, yeah, you know with Marcus Bingham you're going to get that most yeah. likely. So, yeah. Uh, so then Malik Hall, um, 24 minutes, 8 points, 6 rebounds, 3 for 9 from the floor, a steal. You know, at times he looked really good, and then mm-hmm. at times he disappeared. I'm not, I'm not upset with the shots. 3 for 9, okay, you know, he had a bad day. I'm okay with that because you want him taking that many shots. I'd like to see him in double digits. Yeah. Um, but I just thought he was, you know, he was, again, it wasn't just one guy. It was a bunch of guys, but he was one of the guys who was a problem. You know, he, you can argue he almost cost him that one, that, that last possession against the pressure where he made a bad decision to try to thread that needle to Tyson without much room. And even if Tyson had caught that, where he went, some of that's on Tyson too. He's got to know he can't go to the corner. But even if Tyson had, if that ball had not gone out of bounds, mm-hmm. um, he was then in the corner. He was probably going to be trapped. Yeah. So your your responsibility as an inbounder is to not lead your guys into that. You know, so disappointed there mm-hmm. um, with uh, with Malik. But he did some good things at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ, twenty minutes, four points, one rebound, uh, six assists to one turnover. Yeah, um, you know, I, I was, again, sometimes his assist numbers sneak up on me. Because mm. um, this was not a game for the spectacular play, but that's okay. Um, I thought A.J. was all right. I thought at times he was good defensively, which we've seen him be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes, the, I, I'll tell you where my problem is. There's There's certain combinations, and they played it, toward the end of the first half, they could have really blown this thing out at halftime. Mm-hmm. They wasted a whole segment between say the five minute mark and the two and a half minute mark. Whenever the clock finally got stopped, they wasted a whole segment because they had an offensive lineup out there that had AJ and Madi Sissoko. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Can't do that. In my opinion, you're going to play Madi fine. You need Tyson Walker in there. Why? Because you're, if you don't, you're with you're stuck with two guys who are not threats and that's yeah. one too many mm-hmm. and they wasted that now it, it didn't end up costing them maryland wasn't able to get back in it really because they ended up with a nine-point lead but there was an opportunity there to really push it out they could have easily been up you know 14 15 16 if they had had if they had a different lineup there and that's that's the thing you, you did see maryland on a couple of occasions do what I don't understand why more teams don't do it, which is completely sag off AJ. Yeah. They did it more than most. And, you know, honestly, if you're playing AJ Hogard, well, what can he do? We know the thing he can do is if you guard him tightly, he can go by guys and finish mm-hmm. at the rim. We know that. But if you sag off him, you take that away and you turn him into a jump shooter. You make him prove that he can hit a jump shot or, if he's not willing to take the shot, then Michigan State's offense has a tendency to stagnate. Yeah, and Maryland did some of that today. Um, and I, as I say, I don't understand why more people haven't done it. It's it's the biggest thing that AJ's got to address in the off season. Yeah. He's gotta he's gotta continue to improve, work on that shot, and at least make himself into a more consistent threat. Mm-hmm. And even even though that he has to improve on that. There's times where it kind of gets hot potatoed. He's he's got to take those shots at some point, though. He can't let him let Gabe try to bail yeah, him out like he did that a, one play. That's yeah, just too much to yeah. ask of of Gabe. That's a again. That's a that's a problem with the lineups mm-hmm. and sometimes the instinct of players. Because if it's getting late in the clock, if you're under ten seconds. Most of the time, I don't think the ball should be going to AJ. I know that at times he can make something out of nothing by going off the dribble, but if it's especially if it's a game like this where they're sagging pretty consistently, 
Paul should not be finding AJ late. Now that's easier said than done. I get it, but got his teammates have to be smarter than that, mm. you know. And they do have other guys, you know. If you're in that late shot clock situation, Max Christie can create enough room for himself usually to get a shot off, yeah. you know. Other Gabe can even do it occasionally. They do have guys that can do that, or they can dump it in the post and let somebody let somebody try to make a play down there. Uh, Those are all higher percentage plays than AJ Hogard taking an 18 footer. It, it looked like that's what the play call was to Sissoko. And he had it down in the post and it's like, he didn't want to pull the trigger. And next well, thing you know, it pops into AJ's hands. He doesn't want to pull the ticker. It pops into Gabe with like a second left from 28 feet. I mean, herein, get the lies. play called for you. You gotta, you gotta take the shot. <laughs> you know, he but, was in good enough herein, position. But herein lies the problem with playing those two guys together. I wouldn't yeah. do it ever. Play Maddie. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with giving Maddie his, you know, his three-minute turn late in the second half. Okay, you're buying some rest and you're buying, you know, some protection against foul trouble, right? Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. But don't put him out there with AJ. Yeah. In uh, marble, twelve minutes, eight points, two rebounds, uh, three for five from the floor hit a couple free throws in a block. Yeah, you know, good offensively. I mean, we you know, again it was it was a it was a, a case of matchups. I think for all the trouble Joey had staying with Dante Scott, I think they were more worried about Julius, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you didn't see very much of him in the second half again. And it was kind of similar in the game at Breslin, but you know, I, I he definitely provided an offensive spark and when you look he and he and Bingham together combined for seventeen and uh, seven, right? That's uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's decent production from from your bigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Sissoko got five minutes, just zero for one from the uh, uh-huh. floor, and a block. Yep. So. And then Jade Nakins. Yep. Jaden Akins, I thought, played really, really well. Yeah, in the first half for certain, he was yeah. really good defensively. Good defensively, um, three rebounds, and they were all kind of impactful ones, and then he hits the two threes. Um, one time in particular where it was a breakdown. You mm-hmm. know, it was a loose ball that found him. They had a couple of those. But you know what? These are the things that weren't going Michigan State's way, in part because of effort, in part because of bad luck, but I tend to believe bad luck follows effort, um, that weren't getting loose balls like that Yeah, yeah. at times this year. And they did today, and Gabe hit one. Uh, was it Gabe or Joey Hauser? One of them hit one that was, off, uh, that was off a scramble situation like that with a loose ball. I think it was Gabe. And then... Um, and then Jaden Akins hit the other one in the first half, and then he had another shot in the second half where it was great ball movement, and he just kind of found him at the top of the key, and he nailed it. Uh, kid has no fear. I mean, that's what you love about him is that he goes out there and he plays like he's done this his whole life, and and that's a trait that you like. Mm-hmm. You're, you're happy to have on your side, and obviously I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. You know, the future is really bright for that kid. Yeah. I think I think that starting next year, I think you're going to see his game take a big jump because they'll have to. They'll they'll need to play him more, and they will. And I think he's ready for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we look at the keys, Rod. Um, one of them, as I'm pulling it up here, um, was threes. Uh, well, similar story to the last one. If you remember the la- the game at Breslin. They had the uh, Maryland had one more make from three, but Michigan State shot a much better percentage. Same deal here. Each team had nine makes. Michigan State nine for nineteen for forty-seven percent. Kind of, you know, not necessarily par for the course. They've shot a little under thirty-nine percent on the year as a team, but but par for the course in the sense that they were dialed in. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a, and I think it's it's one thing that's been undersold and under acknowledged or appreciated by a lot of Michigan state fans this year. This, this team has clear issues. We, we all know that, but they also do have some real strengths and shooting the three is a strength period. Mm-hmm. They were second in the conference behind Purdue. I don't know if they ended up, I'd have to look if they ended up top 10 um, nationally. I'll, I'll take a quick look here, but they were close. Um, yeah, they were sixth nationally 
38.7% on the year. <laughs> so this is a hell of a shooting team. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about it. And it was big in this game. It's going to be big in every game they play because there are enough things wrong offensively, especially, you know, the NCAA tournament, depending upon matchups might be different. They might actually be able to get some transition stuff going, which would be nice. Uh, but in the big 10, you're not going to see very much of that typically. And because of that, you then look at this team and you say, okay, they only get intermittently effective post play. You know, Marble get you a couple, three buckets in a game. Bainham might get you a couple. Malik Hall might toss in a, a bucket or two along the way in the post. But they don't, they're not like a Michigan or an Illinois or a Purdue where it's your bread and butter and you can count on it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have that. So what can they, they get to the line a decent amount, especially by Izzo team standards, but they're not, they're not Maryland. They're not one of these teams that just, you know, does fullback dives for 40 minutes. So they don't win games there typically. You, you would say, where does this team win games offensively? Well, it's shooting the three. Mm-hmm. So if they have a bad day from three, it's probably going to be tough. They don't need to shoot 47% to win a game, but they need to be good. Yeah. And they were really good in this one. And Maryland, nine for 29, 31%, which is um, kind of about where it's slightly worse than they were in the regular season. You know, Maryland, not a great three-point shooting team statistically uh, on an efficiency basis, and they weren't very good today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what kept them afloat were the extra 10 shots yeah. that they got. But I, I still think clearly advantage Michigan State. They were much more efficient, and and while being more efficient, they were even in terms of number of makes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, and then the, the, that brings us to the uh, defend without fouling. Um Michigan State had 17 fouls to their 15, and the free throws were, I mean, this is kind of similar to the story of last game, um, 13 for 18 for them. Yeah, they should. Last game, I think they only attempted 12, 12. so they got a few more. It got away from Michigan State late. Yeah. Maryland got, uh, Ayala and Russell got to the line a lot late during that comeback. Um, before that, the first 35 minutes of this game, outstanding job. Still decent. You know, you're even in free throw makes against Maryland. Mm-hmm. It'll be tough for Maryland to win. Only 13 makes for Maryland. That's probably a little short of where they need to be. They probably, I don't know what if they have a target or a goal in mind, but I would say they probably need to be, you know, 16, 17 makes in a game to feel really good about their chances to win. Cause they just, you look at this game, they just don't shoot the ball well enough. And that was true here. Mm. 39% from the floor, 31% from three. And they're not a great defensive team. It's hard to win like that. So the free throw line has been the way, the area which, you know, makes some of that mitigate some of those issues. But, um, you know, Michigan state to its credit, did a pretty decent job. Not as not as well as they did in the game at Breslin, but but pretty good. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about the rebounding? That was good, actually. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at it, um, Michigan State had, I believe, nine. Yeah, so they had a a. Um, I'm gonna do some quick math here. So it was um, twenty-seven. Nine, okay, thirty-three percent offensive rebounding rate. Mm-hmm. Solid. Maryland, on the other hand, eight thirty-nine, only had a twenty point five percent offensive rebounding rate. So this is a game where if you're trying to ferret out what what was done in that area, you can't look at the total boards. On the offensive side, Maryland was only one behind MSU in offensive rebounds, nine eight. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at it in terms of rebounding percentage. That's really going to tell the story. And Michigan State had like a 13% edge. That's significant. Yeah. That that mitigated some of the turnover problems. Not a lot. Now, interestingly, I will say this. Maryland did have 13 second chance points to Michigan State's 12. So Maryland did slightly better with the chances they got. But again, we've seen this Michigan State team struggle so mightily in defensive rebounding at times this season that um, – Anything that's less than a struggle is a welcome sight, and they mm-hmm. actually did the job, and and did it in the game at Breslin too. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is the team rebounds. Um, 
like they only had five true offensive rebounds, and then the rest of them, the rest of the four were like team offensive rebounds. Yeah, which yeah. means that they're hustling. You know, they're getting weird little deflections and stuff like that that don't get credited to a particular person, but wind up as a being counted as an yeah offensive. and that's if you know that is indicative that, that stuff happens in every game three is not a yeah. huge number for those but i will say if i had to point to you know the biggest problem has been that this michigan state team just has not had a lot of guys who i thought were active enough and reactive enough like they just yeah. don't they don't go to the ball as quickly as they need to it's it's that simple in my opinion. But behind that, another issue has been at times um, an inability to corral those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a good rebounding team, you tend to put some of those away more than Michigan State has. Today was not a particularly egregious example, but there have been times this year that I've felt that way. Yeah. That, you know, God, they just they need somebody with better hands. They need somebody who's a little tougher in those situations. You know, it's those kind of things that, that show up. Because um, the other side could be as active as they want. But if you've got position, you ought to get that rebound. And there mm. have been too many times that Michigan State's allowed the activity of the opponent to turn those into team offensive rebounds, yeah. in my opinion. Um, and then the transition. What, I mean, did you feel like they – the defensive rebounded pretty well, which especially yeah, in the was, in the beginning, I mean, they terrible. seemed like they were pretty crisp. Yeah, it was terrible. The fast break points were twenty to six, and a big part of that were live ball turnovers. I mean, mm. Maryland pushed that. I don't know what it was before the six minute mark, but I'll guarantee you it was a hell of a lot closer than twenty to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maryland got a lot done in a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, you know there were moments. You know that that play that they made with uh with Gabe, Gabe for the yeah. one, great, but just not not consistency in terms of being able to get anything done against Maryland. And that's unfortunate because they got them for nineteen in the game at Breslin. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was definitely lower impact. Uh, the last key we had was um, energy. You know, for for. For uh, most of this game, I would say pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And and still, the way that you, at least for me, the way that I look at that is, first and foremost, how'd you defend? Okay, pretty well. How'd you rebound? Pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, no major problems there. How did you do in terms of 50-50 balls? Pretty well. You know? Yeah. Those are all check, check, check. But I think that... <laughs> There is part of that press break stuff is a toughness, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's an ability, it's an ability to get, to get position, hold it. And then when the ball comes to you, be, be strong with it. And Michigan state failed in that area. So I can't give it a complete positive check mark because I think, I think they really let their energy, their toughness, all of that drop during that stretch. It wasn't all of the problem, but it was a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And I'll tell well, you, I'm watching, just as a side note, I'm what, as we're recording this, I'm watching Ohio state kind of handling Penn state. Michigan yeah. state just turned Joey Brunk into a superstar. It's ridiculous. They just got <laughs> this guy off the mat and rejuvenated him. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking anyway. of around the league. Uh, wow. So Northwestern comes back from double digits and wins. Michigan loses to Indiana, an even bigger lead than than Northwestern uh, came back from. Is, yeah. is it safe? Is Michigan on the bubble? Are they maybe a Final Four in or I, I, you a know, playing it game? Depends, it depends on who you talk to. If I had to predict, and I'm look, I'm I'm the same as everybody else. I'm guessing, but I think. If I had a gun to my head to pick, I would say they're a pretty damn good candidate for Dayton. For yeah. The and the, and the reason I say that is is twofold. One, let's be brutally honest. Their resume is not great. Uh, they got more mileage out of a, a four and four close to the season than anybody I can think of. And I understand some of it 
was probably due to the fact that, you know, they went through the Howard thing and the Martelli coaching them. And so not just completely going in the toilet, mm-hmm. um, probably, you know, made people a little overly enthusiastic, but I never understood it. There was this, there was this thought process that somehow Michigan was peaking and ready to go and make a run. I, I never understood it because I've seen the same problems. I saw all your, if you watch that game today against Indiana, I, I wish we had seen them play that way with that much intelligence. And, and I'm using heavy sarcasm mm-hmm. uh, against Michigan state. You remember coming out of that game at Chrysler. One of the things I talked about was I didn't think Michigan state had much of a chance to come back from a big halftime deficit because what I expected is exactly what they did. They would go down on the blocks to Dickinson, possession after possession after possession. And they would say, hey, we're up by enough. We'll even trade you three for twos if you're hot because mm-hmm. we're going to get a certain level of efficiency from him. You know, he's not going to hit all of them, but he's going to hit a lot of them. Yeah. And and you just it's kind of the equivalent to a good ground game closing out a, a, a decent sized lead in football. It's the same thing. It's you just your enemy is the clock and scoring enough your goal is run clock and score enough to hold the other team at bay, even if they're getting hot from three. Be efficient enough from two. And they have a perfect player to run that through in Dickinson. They were up 17 in the second half. They were up 17 with, I forget how much, it wasn't like it was early in the second half either. Mm -hmm. It was a decent way into the half. And they kind of like what Michigan State did today, except Michigan State, held them off in the end um and they just didn't go to dickinson dickinson just wasn't it wasn't he was missing shots he wasn't touching the ball or if he did it was he gets the ball 20 feet from the basket and they're using him basically as a screener to hand the ball off to a guard i did not for the life of me understand i understand indiana was throwing doubles at him you know with trace jackson davis they've got a pretty good sized guy to guard him one-on-one but come on that, that to me, is where this was lost. And it's what really, if I were a Michigan fan, I would have seen a lot of things this year besides the incident against Wisconsin that would trouble me about Juwan Howard. Because that just, I, you have a weapon like Dickinson in a game where you got a huge lead. You go to him, and you go to him, and you go to him. And, and it would be one thing if they did that, and it didn't work. He wasn't hitting. IU was defending it well. But they didn't even try. Mm-hmm. The one trump card they've got in their deck, because trust me, it's the only one. The rest of those guys, come on. But but Dickinson, <laughs> that guy is as close to being unguardable as anybody in the conference because he's so huge, but yet I think he's got better touch than certainly than Coburn. I think he's a more versatile scorer. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Coburn can't hit can't hit eight foot, 10 foot baseline jumpers the way Dickinson can. And he doesn't have the three as a weapon, which, you know, Dickinson probably shoots too many of those, but still it's, you know, it's something he's got. And Michigan just decided, no, we're going to go away from him. We're going to win in another way. I have no idea what they were thinking. Hats off to Indiana though. Indiana really turned up the defensive pressure and finally, finally got some things going. Mm. offensively but again playing indiana i go back to my theory about this how you should play in the second half with a big lead if you're michigan indiana doesn't even have the three-point shooting to where you would think them winning a three for two battle is even in the cards and if you if you look at it i don't know how many threes they hit in that comeback but it wasn't a ton yeah that was not fueled by threes you know so i don't know what juan howard was thinking I, I, I think they probably still get in, but, you know, that, that loss makes them, uh, if you're a Michigan fan, you're a little bit nervous going into Sunday, whereas with a win, you wouldn't be. And it, it punched Indiana's ticket, which I think is a big deal for Mike Woodson. Mm. I think it's a big deal. It buys him time. You know, this is not his team. He didn't really assemble this group. Uh, they did bring in a bunch of transfers. I think that's been, you know up and down to say the least, you know, I I would say that based on their talent level, in some ways they're an underachiever. But then again, when you talk about talent, part of that is how good your guard play and their guard play is 
uh, anything but consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite bad at times, actually. Uh, but to get to the tournament, given their situation, where they were, I, I think that's a that's a decent first year for him. So it's something he can use as a as a building block as they go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't mention, and I didn't see a second of it. I was out eating for Michigan State's game, but Iowa apparently set like oh, every right. offensive record known to man by blowing out Northwestern. I mean, like hammered them it was like thirty-eight or something. <laughs> they scored one hundred and twelve points. Oh my gosh. A forty a forty-minute game against a high-major opponent is just about impossible. Mm-hmm. But they shot like it was crazy. They shot like I don't know sixty-one percent from three, and they shot a ton of them. They just, I gotta say, that you know Wisconsin's got a lot of run, and rightly so for being a big surprise. But man, with the way Iowa has closed this season, they are right behind them. I never saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Never. Um, big part of it is just like Wisconsin with Johnny Davis, who we'll, we'll talk about as we go into the Wisconsin preview. Um, you know, they had Keegan Murray emerge from being a very good role player as a freshman to a superstar. And mm-hmm. so Iowa kind of didn't end up missing much of a beat even though they lost Luca Garza because Murray, a very different kind of player, but in terms of his import and his impact on games overall, pretty similar. Yeah. So that's been a big positive. Look, I'm never going to pick them to beat anybody good. You know, tomorrow they're playing Rutgers. And I, I think that Rutgers has a chance to beat them certainly because they can ugly a game up like nobody's business. And that's kind of <laughs> what you need to do against Iowa. Um, I've also seen this Iowa team make Rutgers offense look pretty good mm. at times. So, um, you know, but, uh, they've been entertaining. You have to give them that. And you know, like I said, they set all kinds of offensive records for the big 10 tournament. Mm. So good for them. Okay. Well, that'll wrap up, uh, Maryland, I guess I think this will be the end of, this is the end of Maryland season, unless they go to maybe the NIT First, or something. They won't, because they had a losing they had a losing record overall, um, which I believe takes you out of. I think it's still that way that you mm-hmm. can't get invited to any of those tournaments if you have a losing record. Um, they will finish with their first losing record in twenty eight years, which was one of the longer streaks nationally. Um, but you know, Danny Manning's not getting that job. T- Tom Izzo's statement at the end of the game, notwithstanding, uh, I don't know that Izzo has ever met a current coach he didn't think should retain his job right <laughs> except maybe Bo Ryan for about three or four years <laughs> but um but uh, he's not going to get that job um but I do think by the end of the season you know they weren't as good I don't think they were as good as they were last year even at the end of the year but um he got them they could have thrown in the towel they really could have thrown it in because they were they were off to a horrific start in Big Ten play. You know, you got a lame duck coach, a mm-hmm. um, lot of veterans. You know, guys like Ayala, Russell, a lot of these guys. Wahib, a lot of these guys are going to be gone. Yeah, um, next year, regardless. It could have got ugly. Um, yeah, it could have gotten really ugly, and you could have seen them end up like a three win team or a four win team, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. They competed. And you saw it in these two games against Michigan State, man. They get down 20 in each game in the second half. And they in, in one, they got it down to three. In the other, they got it down to two. So the compete level was really, really high. That's a credit to those kids, and I, I suppose a credit to Danny Manning, too. Mm-hmm. I just think it was it was a situation that was always going to be impossible to, to really do much. Yeah. You know? yeah. But they, they, they didn't embarrass themselves, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Wisconsin's up next, Rod. Uh, they get they had a first round bye, so they're going to be fully rested for this one. Is this going to is yeah. that going to be a big advantage or you know it's to me that's always been a complete crapshoot in this thing. That's always the way you look at it as well. Those those top four teams get the get the bye, so they're either playing a team that's already played one game or they're playing sometimes a team that's played two. If there's an upset. Um, so that's always the way you look at it. But I think the reality is that picture is more mixed. Um, sometimes the argument is 
a team that's already played a game is a little sharper, right? So yeah. for Wisconsin, I, they played – I'm trying to remember. Did they play – the last one they did, did they, they played play uh, Nebraska. They, they lost Saturday. They lost to Nebraska on Sunday. On Sunday, okay. So, so they're looking at you know whatever five day layoff. That's not unheard of. You certainly will see that during the course of a regular season, but um, it's you know it's long enough that sometimes we've seen it. We've seen it with Michigan State teams that were really good, mm. and we're in that position. There have been times where they've come out and they haven't been super sharp. You know, so I don't know. I think on the Michigan State side of things, nobody went crazy with the minutes today. You know, I mean, I look at it. What Christie played 32, Brown played 33. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was above 22. And, and Brown and Christie are used to playing those minutes. I, I don't think you're going to see any impact with them in that. This is we, we talked about it at the outset of this thing. I think that this is the one depth doesn't generally make much of an impact in the NCAA tournament, but it can here. Mm-hmm. If you're in Michigan State's position, or really, truth, truthfully, any position, even if you're one of those teams with uh, the uh, top four finish, by the time you get to Sunday, if you get to a final, you know, <laughs> you're kind of burned. You yeah. know, it's the same th- same thing that happens in the holiday tournaments when you get to the third game. You're kind of burned out, and that's where you'll often see some weird stuff go on um, and, you know, questionable defense at times, and, you know, all those sorts of things. So if you have greater depth, you're in a better position to withstand some of that. Mm-hmm. So um, all of that checks out as, as a pretty good position for Michigan State to be in, I think. Uh, but but in terms of who it really plays to it, as an advantage here, I think it's – I think it's hard to know. Sometimes mm-hmm. it looks like the the buy helps you, and sometimes it looks like you'd rather have played. Yeah. So Wisconsin finishes with a, a pretty. You'd mentioned it earlier. One of the surprise teams, twenty four and six uh, overall. Yeah. That's pretty that damn is good. The worst twenty four and six team, and the worst. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. The, the worst co Big Ten championship team I can recall. <laughs> um, there may have been maybe that Indiana team in 16 that won it due to scheduling mostly maybe they're in that discussion but I say that you know they've managed to creep up where both their offense and defense are in the top 50 Ken Palm barely mm-hmm. but I just look at the profile offensively number 289 from three they shoot 31.3 percent awful they're only number 205 in the country from two points On defense, the number 121 against threes by percentage and the number 169 against twos. So not terrible, but mediocre. Yeah. Um, That is not the the stuff typically of a Big Ten champion. What has made the difference is, first and foremost, they have one of the elite players in the nation in Johnny Davis. So they have a go-to guy, which without him – this is an NIT team. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. I think he was that important. So he took them individually. His presence turned an NIT team into a team that has a chance at, I would think, probably maybe as much as high as a three seed. I don't know if I believe they can get to a two. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a three, if they if they got to the finals, I would think they'd be in play for that. Um, and, a, and a league title, which you can't take away from them. That's yeah. a pretty big impact. But if you get beyond him, I've said this all year long, when Tyler Wall and Brad Davison are your number two and number three guys offensively, you're not that good. Mm -hmm. But because they have a great player, it elevates everybody else. And he himself, the damage that he does, you know, I I look at this year, you know, it, it reminds people of searched for comparisons because the top run of players in this league this year has truly been remarkable. I mean, I mentioned that I think Hunter Dickinson is as tough a cover as there is among the big men. He was second team all league. He couldn't even make first team. Zach Eady wasn't first team. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't think, but you look at it 
having guys like Davis, Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey, EJ Liddell, and then, oh, a big man like Coburn for good measure, mm-hmm. all in the league at the same time. What it reminds me of is there was a, there was a period in the early 90s where um, the Big Ten had Steve Smith, Calbert Chaney, and Jim Jackson all in the league at the same time. And Calbert Chaney and Jim Jackson were a little younger than Smith, but all three guys were just monster, monster scorers, just as, as talented as you could ask for in a, in a Big Ten basketball player on the wing. Mm. And I think that having guys like Ivy, um, Davis, and Murray all at the same time, it reminds me of that. I don't know that those guys will be as good in the pros, although I, I think Jaden Ivey in particular, I think has a chance to be tremendous. I'm not quite as sold on the other two guys as superstars, but I think they'll all be good players. Mm. Um, but you know, that's the, that's what it reminds me of. And, and look, Johnny Davis, Johnny Davis is a guy who has carried this team. He has made them into a big 10 co-champion in a year where I think making the tournament was questionable coming in. So yeah, pretty important. So keys to beating them, Rod, um, the three point shot. That's uh, yeah. Got I mean, look, killed by Davison in one of those games. Uh, yeah, but they're, they're a terrible three point shooting team. We yeah, know they this. really are just awful. Yeah. You know, Michigan state has essentially almost a seven and a half percent average uh, difference um, over Wisconsin as a team. And that is significant enough that I don't know. I question whether Michigan state can win this game. If they're not at least decently dialed in again, I don't think they need to be at 47%, but I think they need to be at least on their average and Wisconsin needs to be on their average. Mm -hmm. They, They can't have a game where Wisconsin is just going crazy Conversely, they also can't have a game where Michigan State's really struggling to make threes. I think they have to be, they have to be decently dialed in, and they got to hold Wisconsin down. You know, and individually, you look at it. Um, when I look at uh, looking at some of these guys, so Johnny Davis, for as great as he's been, is down to thirty-three percent on the year from three. Yeah, Wall. 17%, just shy of that. So he's not a threat. Davison's down to 34.7%. Crawl, their big man, who has an ability and hurt Michigan State a little bit in the game at Breslin, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. Yeah. Um, 32%. Um, Chucky Hepburn has gotten himself up to 34. So those are your five starters. But you notice nobody's even shooting 35%. Davison mm-hmm. is just under that. So, and they really don't have threats. I mean, Lauren Bowman, who doesn't play a lot, um, is at 40%. He's the one guy. But I don't <laughs> think you expect Lauren Bowman to go off. So this is a team that really struggles mm. from out there. And if you're looking for an area of clear-cut advantage for Michigan State, it's there. Yeah. So they uh, got to exploit that. And then rebounding, of course, always a key. But the Badgers are, are – we've mentioned it before in other games, poor offensive rebounding team, 249. Yeah, yeah, this is really bad, though. And and that is oftentimes with Wisconsin basketball, that is by design. Because they prioritize floor balance. They always have, going back to going back to uh, Bo Ryan. You know, they, Michigan State used to, I don't, they don't do it much anymore, but, you know, it used to be four to the boards, right? Mm. Four guys crashing off a shot. Uh, Wisconsin would be one to the boards, <laughs> if that maybe zero to the boards. Um, That's just never been something they've emphasized. But again, if you're Michigan state, this is not a good shooting team. So if they play according to form and you are able to hold them down in terms of their efficiency from the floor, what you cannot do is give them second chances Mm -hmm. because our third point, our third key turnovers, they're number two in the nation. They are very likely to have a turnover margin here. We'll hope yeah. that it's not massive like today. Um, but if you can if you can keep that reasonable, say you keep that gap to three or four, and you do the job on the boards, you're going to have a shot. Mm. You're going to have a shot because unless Wisconsin is shooting out of their minds, if they play to form, 
they're not going to shoot all that well. So it's key that Michigan State do what they should do, which is control the defensive glass. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin is a good defensive rebounding team, as they usually are. They're top 50. So I wouldn't go in expecting Michigan State to make a great deal of hay on its offensive boards, but, you know, whatever you can get there is positive, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they say Johnny Davis is going to play unless there's some weird chess move that guard's trying to pull or something. Uh, yeah. So, what? I mean, how, how are they going to defend him? What, what's the strategy with him? Well, I think, the, but I think the first thing is, okay, let's assume that that's not subterfuge and he is going to play. Mm-hmm. How is he going to play? You know, he can yeah. play and be 75%. You know, you don't know. We, we can presume that he probably hasn't practiced as he normally would have over the course of this time. I'm going to make that assumption. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that he's rusty. You never know for sure how this stuff works out. Sometimes a guy could have five days off, comes out, and, and can't miss. You know, But you're going to assume he's a little bit off, a little bit rusty. And, then, and that's a best-case scenario if he actually is somewhere near 100%. If he's not, then who knows? And they rely so much on him he is such a key to everything that they do because not just because of the production but the um the attention that he garners you know he's a he's a playmaker for them this is not a team with a real true point guard a hepburn is not that they and they rarely do have they don't they don't have guys that are typically at the top of the assist charts you know as often as not They've got another guy who's the guy. Remember those years where Ethan Happ was their best playmaker? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so Davis really is the guy who makes the whole thing go for them. So if he is fully healthy and normal, okay, that creates one set of challenges. I had said when MSU faced them earlier in the year, look, Davis is going to get his to an extent. Mm-hmm. But what you need to do is you need to make him work for everything he gets and then limit the guys around him. Don't let the attention you're paying to him allow other guys to get wide open looks. Um, you know all of that. I think Michigan State really struggled with that in the game at Breslin. Um, they let other guys get off, and then Davis, if I remember correctly, got it going in the second half. And yeah, really took him home. Um, so that's if he's normal. If he's not, if he's limited, well then. You know, you need to take advantage of that because if he's limited, that means other guys are going to have to shoulder a bigger load. So you've got to do a job in holding those guys down and making sure that people don't have a career day against you. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't need another uh, Joey Brunk, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and for heaven's sake, box him out. He's their leading rebounder. Yep. Somebody get on him. He is. And that's I made the comparison this year with that 1990-91 group of players in the Big Ten for a reason, because what they share, what what Davis and Murray and um, and Ivy share, and they all, you know, you could argue Ivy's more of a two, um, Davis is more of a three, and maybe Murray's more of a four, but I think the way they're utilized is pretty similar mm-hmm. between the three of them. They're all asked to do a lot, and it reminds me a lot of guys like Steve Smith and Jim Jackson and even Calvert Chaney to an extent. Those guys weren't just scorers because they were all, you know, 6'6 six, six to 6'7, six, mm-hmm. and they could all rebound. They could all make plays for others and did. You know, they were very, very versatile players that impacted everything. And it's similar with this group. Davis is no exception. Yeah. Uh, and then the final key is, is, is the free throw line, keeping them off the free throw line. Yeah. Um, they're not quite Maryland, but again, a team that struggles to shoot well. And they do a decent job of getting to the line. They're, I don't know, they're like 114th, 111th, something like that. Let mm. me see. Um, 114th in free throw attempts. As a, uh, divided by field goal attempts, which is a pretty good um, measure. And they're number 68 in the percentage of their overall points coming from the line. Uh, which, so that's, those are decent numbers. And again, with a team that just struggles to make baskets from the floor, what you don't want to do is give them, gift them a parade to the free throw line. And as we know, Wisconsin basketball over the years, you, if you're being kind, you can call it a knack 
that they've had for drawing <laughs> fouls. If you're not kind, you could say it's kind of unattractive bullshit that that they have um, that they coach to draw fouls. Depending upon your vantage point, it's one or the other, or maybe some of both. Um, but that's what you have to avoid. Mm-hmm. It's a, a totally different challenge than Maryland stylistically, because Wisconsin's not going to have guys just putting their head down, looking to get to the rim and draw contact. It's a different deal. Uh-huh. But I, I do think that um, the overall type of challenge it is is similar, in that you you don't want to you don't want to give a team that struggles to make shots an opportunity to make shots with the, the clock stopped. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Well, any final thoughts heading into this one? This will no, be I mean, six thirty tomorrow. So, yeah, same time. It, you know, in a, in a sense, I, I'm I'm struggling this year to really make a lot of sense of of where I think Michigan State sits. It seems to me that the consensus seems to be, you know, somewhere in the seven to eight range, maybe eight, maybe even seven and nine, depending upon who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. So I think winning this today took anything really bad is off the table. Uh-huh. You're, you're way out of the play-in game. That's, that's not happening. And you're probably not – there's probably not any chance you're going to slip to a 10. But where they sit, I, I don't know how much room for movement there is. I think, obviously, a win over Wisconsin – would do nothing but help you. Hmm. And maybe that would be enough to take them up a seed line. I don't know. And I don't really know for sure what that means. You know, does that mean you go from uh, an eight to a seven? Um, I don't know. Hmm. But um, the opportunities there, I mean, I, I said it in the aftermath of the regular season finale. I would much rather be in this position than the spot MSU would have been in had they lost that game. Yeah. Um, and then and then managed to beat Indiana. Uh, I would much rather be facing Wisconsin than Illinois. And if you can get this, if you can get two wins, get yourself to a semifinal, you know, then you're probably looking at Purdue. Okay, or maybe Ohio State, be one or the other. Um, you know, either of those would be a tough challenge. But I, you know, I think at that point you definitely just say, hey, we've we've done an okay job here. Mm-hmm. If you win two. And I think even winning the first takes it out of the disaster realm. Right. You know, you've, you've done enough to feel okay about the job you've done. You get Wisconsin, you feel pretty good, no matter what happens after that. That, that would be my position. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll get there. And hopefully preview <laughs> for the next one after that. Until then, I'm on board my own schedule. Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.